0: All right, go ahead and move back to your area, if you would. Go ahead and move back to your place and have a seat. This morning, this morning, Super Church stays here, okay? This morning, Super Church stays here, and we're going to get started. Well, actually, we're going to continue. We already started, haven't we, Victor? (laughs) Um, this morning, we're going to set aside our consideration of Genesis. We're looking at Genesis 1 through 12, and I'd been wavering on 11 or 12. We're going to go through 12, even though we've done it uh, somewhat recently. Uh, but we're going to set that aside this morning because we have a church family thing that we're going to do. And um, a couple of two or three, well, it's probably three or four weeks ago now, uh, Noel Garrett uh, came to me and asked, we talked for a little while. And then she asked if she could share a word with her church family. And um, instant, yes, of course you can. Uh, and there's a story behind that and how the Lord's taught me that also, but absolutely she can. Many of us have, and I'm not going to say any more about that. I don't want to take away anything from what Noel's going to share, um, but our whole church family has seen her walk through some difficulties and their family. Um, many of us have prayed. Um, we've sought to encourage Uh, Both Noel and the (laughs) and the family, Um, some have given um, significantly. They wanted to remain anonymous, and that's of course between them and the Lord. Um, uh, And I wanted us to get started this morning by reading something uh, from Second Corinthians chapter one, and then uh, Noel, not Noel. Then Adrian, mom, wants to speak a word, and then Noel uh, is wanting to give a testimony. And I told her, you just take as long as you want. Um, so that's how that goes. I'm nervous. I don't usually get nervous. 2 <laughs> Corinthians chapter 1 says this Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in the sufferings, you will also share in the comfort. And and I wanted to just note uh, very quickly that in this particular passage, the idea of comfort goes right along with affliction. It goes right along with trouble. And when there's trouble and affliction, there's comfort that God sends to walk with it as well. Without the affliction of someone or the trouble of someone, the comfort isn't as intense. But when there is intense affliction and comfort, God sends comfort, excuse me, affliction and trouble, God sends comfort as well. And uh, mom and dad, Noel and I have already prayed. Uh, I just wanted us to have that as the stage being set, is that we have a God who is a God of all comfort. And Adrian, I'm going to ask you to go ahead and come on up here and you guys just do
1: So good morning. Whoa, too really loud. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah. I just I'm really really grateful to be here. And before I get started with my testimony, I just want to lift up this time to the Lord. And I'm already crying. I thought I was gonna make it to like my actual testimony, but no. <laughs> so, um, yeah. I'm gonna be crying throughout this whole thing. I bet you. And if you need me to translate anything afterwards, just let me know. <laughs> but. <laughs> But yeah, I'm just going to, if you don't mind, bowing your head with me, I'm going to lift this up. (laughs) Dear Lord, I thank you so much for the opportunity to be here. And I'm just so grateful that you've given me this testimony and that I don't um, come up here with empty words. And I don't come up here with um, not believing what I'm saying, but I'm coming up here with passion. I'm coming up here with um, a very personal true testimony that I just want to all I want is to encourage other people in their faith and their struggles and I just really want to glorify you in them so I just hope that through everything I say and what people see up here they just see a vessel that's willing to be used however you want me to um, and I just thank you for the graves, my graves that you've turned into gardens and um yeah. In your name I pray. Amen. Um, yeah. So, there's a ton of things that the Lord has taught me through this season of life. Like, countless things. Um, so it's hard to put a number on it, but there are four major ones that I want to share. And they're kind of... There's similarities and overlaps, but um, there are four main ones. Um, yeah. So... This is, what I'm going to be sharing with you, is not a story about me. And it's not um, a story about pain. It's not a pity story. It's not a look how strong I am story. And it's not a story where pain gets the final say. Um, It's a story about God's faithfulness and his goodness. And it's a testimony of what he's done with me, through me, and for me. But who I am today is very different from my previous self, so I just wanna give you kind of a backstory of what my life has looked like up to this point. Um, I've spent the past 16 years enjoying many able-bodied blessings with just a few surgeries and a lot of concussions from clumsiness, stupidity, poor spatial awareness, and selective spatial awareness. I love to mountain bike, drive, and roller skate, which was concussion number eight. I definitely wasn't the most active person, though. I could go through periods of times where I wanted to do sit-down activities, or sometimes I was lazy, but having the option to stand up was always nice. I had recently gotten my license, and I loved the freedom and enjoyment that it brought. Some of my plans for the summer were to work a part-time job, help with VBS, and go to the Ozarks with a friend. When summer break ended, I hoped to attend a homeschool program and play sports for the rest of 2023, but none of that happened. I became bedridden, handicapped, and then started a journey of relearning how to walk and function with seemingly a new body. Definitely not in the healed, perfected, heavenly body sense, but the failing, downgraded kind of new. Things escalated in June of this year when I was passing out nearly every day and experiencing seizures for the first time in my life. We went to the hospital multiple times before getting the diagnosis of f and that my mom explained earlier. It's unpredictable and oftentimes debilitating, but there's a lot to be grateful for in it, like the fact I'm not in pain 24-7, and it is something that I can make progress with, and I can learn how to better manage it. Um, the biggest thing now is kind of the flare-ups that come, but um, I'm just grateful that it's not Miserable 24-7. I have hours or days of relief from my symptoms. And, um, yeah, I've learned a lot from Colorado and, and putting that into use and it's helped me immensely. But it has drastically changed every aspect of my life. This disorder has put me through a lot of exhausting and terrifying symptoms. They vary from day to day in frequency and severity, but most of them have stuck around since summer. These include seizures, paralysis, dystonia, tremors, tics, drop attacks, dissociation, speech problems, brain fog, fainting, hyperacuity, body numbness, hallucinations, delusions, full body lockups, migraines, muscle spasms, persistent fatigue, nausea, severe vertigo, paranoia, cognitive changes, temporary amnesia, and the inability to walk. I'm talking about my symptoms because I came up here to be vulnerable and honest. And honesty is not only sharing the feel-good parts of my story or skimming over painful details because I don't want them to distract from the point of my testimony. The entire point of my story is found in the despair and the hopelessness that would have overcome me without the Lord. In order to understand the height he has brought me to, you have to know the lows I've experienced first. The first few months of my health decline felt like extremely dark and frightening valleys. For a while, every night was spent in sometimes hour-long episodes of paralysis, seizures, body lockups, and hallucinations. I was often unable to wheel myself in my chair, brush my teeth, change my clothes, use the restroom, or get into bed by myself. My parents, sorry. My parents devoted every one of those hard nights to helping me through all the tears of confusion frustration and embarrassment for those really bad months every evening was an excruciating ordeal upsetting for me exhausting for my parents I'm sure and when I was finally in bed the nightmare wasn't even over because the paralysis would sometimes continue into the night my paralysis episodes all complete entrapment I have little to no control over my body I can't blink swallow, move out of uncomfortable positions, or speak. I'm unable to pull my blanket off if I'm hot. I can't yell for help or text anyone. Can't get up to use the bathroom. Can't do anything except wait it out. It's hard to describe the extent of torment that I feel when being trapped in my own body, but it's one of the most distressing symptoms I experience. Something else that I haven't suffered before, even after all of my concussions, is partial amnesia. One of the weirdest things I've experienced. I truly didn't know the names of my siblings. I vaguely recognized my room, but worried I had been kidnapped and that it was actually someone else's. My friends and family's faces were blurry and unfamiliar when I tried to recall them. And sometimes I didn't know my name or even if I was alive. A lot of bad mornings began that way and it would terrify me to the point of staying in bed all day. It's hard to go about your life when you don't even know whose life you're living. You feel like a stranger, with no idea who else is in the house or what you should do with yourself. It's terrifying, frustrating, and difficult to function in that state. While those are two of the worst symptoms that I've experienced, another one is severely heightened sensitivity to sound. Early on, someone exhaling loudly would send me into a seizure. The fridge shutting or cat meowing, anything unexpected would set them off. Um, setting off seizures, paralysis, muscle lockups, tick attacks, or hallucinations. Now, with the help of a sound program, my sensitivity has considerably lessened, and I no longer have to wear a headband everywhere I go, which I'm really grateful for. It makes venturing out of the house a lot less scary to not fear every single unpredictable noise, but it was really hard the first few months. In a week, I went from mountain biking to being bedridden. I went from driving my car to being driven to hospitals. I was disappointed when I realized I would miss out on so much this summer, and maybe my life. My plans were all brought to a full halt as I lay in bed day after day. I was turned dependent, feeling vulnerable, helpless, and burdensome. And if I didn't know the Lord, this is where my story would end. Without a doubt, my life's chapter would close. I would have no silver lining to find in my situation and nothing to look forward to. To For the rest of the world, I had pity to gain and many days of depression and suffering ahead. If I didn't know Christ, I would agree with them. I would feel purposeless and probably choose to give up. But someone wanted the story to continue. The Lord wanted me to reach a different ending. He wanted to grow my faith and remind me of a permanent hope that isn't found in this world. This hope is greater than the struggles we face and great enough to redeem us. This hope calls us by our name instead of our sin. It shows us mercy and grace. It's the sacrifice of God's Son, dying so we could live, so we could have peace in this world as we look forward to eternity in heaven. Jesus, the light of the world, gave this to me. I think the fullness of his light is best contrasted against the darkness of sin and pain. The lowest valley of suffering makes even the smallest mountain sweeter. It's in our most broken, bitter tears that we find redemption, love, and a hope that is powerful enough to overcome anything. If my life had been seemingly great with no traumas, no health difficulties or rough patches, it would be easy for me to sit here and say, God is good. But because I have been through traumatic experiences, because I felt my very lowest, felt physically trapped and mentally tortured, yet clung to Jesus' peace, I am able to stand here with complete confidence and say I know God is good. Not despite it all, but because of it all. And that brings me to the first thing God began teaching me. His definition of goodness is different than mine. After my first seizure episode, I spent a few days in the hospital being monitored and diagnosed. While I was there, I wondered about God's plan for me. I didn't know exactly what was happening or what this meant for my future, but he knew every answer, and that comforted me. I was still anxious and confused, but I also had an odd sense of peace, and I was doing my best to hold on to it. I had a lot of spare time to think about my life and God's sovereignty, and eventually I decided to let them out on paper through the form of poetry. I continued writing poems often to document this new season of life, and I'll be sharing um, a few throughout this testimony. This was the first one written in June. This is a new chapter for me. I know not what's in store. I don't know what the epilogue holds or how many chapters I have left. I'm unaware of the plot twist I'll experience, but I do personally know the author of my story. And by knowing him, I can look forward to an overall theme of goodness. Not necessarily mine, but his. There are many situations and struggles we face that can feel horrible. They may include pain, loneliness, loss, or confusion. There isn't always an immediate fix, but there is an end result for believers to rejoice in, a permanent hope to cling to, and an assurance of who holds tomorrow. Our faithful and loving God has a plan, one that will surely come to pass, and we are offered to be a part of it. We have the choice to answer the Lord's knock and open the door of salvation. We are free to trust in the one who knows more than we do and loves us more than we can comprehend. We don't have to know his exact plan to trust in it because we know that he himself is good. But Of course, it can be hard to believe that when you're faced with situations you wouldn't have chosen. Lying in that hospital bed after experiencing hours of seizures, panic, and pain, I thought about how none of that felt good. I was overwhelmed, nervous, and missing the independence that had disappeared. It had been over a week since I walked on my own. Every time I sat up, I passed out, and often went to seizure. My body ached, my mental health was at an all-time low as I was also working through a past trauma that had resurfaced. It didn't feel good, but instead of asking God why, I wondered what now? He answered with a sunset. Through the windows of the hospital, I could see a beautiful, vibrant sky filled with golden and purple streaks. It was serene and marvelous and led me to appreciate the fact that I was on the third floor of this hospital in this location with a perfect view of it, not by accident or some misfortune, but I was brought there by the Lord's sovereignty. And that made me think about how God had slowed down the pace of my life, maybe to show me more, not just sunsets, but to show me things I needed to be convicted of, others I needed to be encouraged in. Maybe he was stopping the noise of the world so I could recognize his voice. Maybe it was a good thing. It didn't feel very good in that moment, but what even is good? What is beauty apart from the splendor of heaven? Everything on this earth is tainted by sin and has fallen from the perfect ways God intended them to be. Even the sunset I was admiring couldn't compare it to the beauty of the Lord. Um, sun rises, mountain views, changing seasons. None of them will be as glorious as heaven. This reminded me of 1 Corinthians 2.9 where it says, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. It was incredibly exciting to me to know that we'll see beauty up there that surpasses everything down here, and that the word beauty itself will be given new meaning. Pondering over those things led me to write this next piece. I have a firm belief that God's definition of goodness is so much better than mine. Convicted by the words I have defined by worldly thinking, I am now opening my heart to God's dictionary, to his love that is working all things together for the greater good of those who believe in him and his goodness. When I came home from the hospital, I began trying to stay positive. I tried to look on the bright side, be optimistic 24-7, and smile everything away. As you can imagine, it didn't take long for me to break down and realize I couldn't continue like that. And when I accepted that positivity couldn't get me through this, the Lord showed me something that could, joy. If the source of my joy is in the Lord who never changes, then my joy has no reason to decrease. It won't come and go like everything else in life because I believe the Lord won't leave my side for a moment. His love is steadfast, and when you love him back, it's something stronger than the inconsistent emotions we have. The Bible hardly ever talks about happiness, but what it does mention and urge us to find is joy, abounding joy in our Savior and what he's done for us, a joy that goes hand in hand with contentment and will produce steadfastness. James 1, 2 through 4 says, count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect in be lacking in nothing. Count it all joy, it says. Not have joy when you're having a good day, or be joyful when you've reached the end of your trial. Count it all joy. God struck my heart with this passage, encouraging but also convicting me to let him redefine words. He reminded me that happiness is temporary, but joy is eternal. Positivity tries to find something good in a situation, but trust declares there to be. When God began teaching me what joy was and the importance of it, I was then motivated to have it consistently. And when my joy is consistent, so is my gratitude, and thus my trust in Him. Similar to the passage in James, First Thessalonians 5.18 says, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. I'd heard that verse many times before but only when the source of my joy was God and that joy led me to my gratitude did it truly click through this situation I've learned that there is always something to praise him for even if you thank him for the same things every time it's good to dwell on what he's given us who he is and who he continues to be I am reminded daily that the Lord's prominence can be praised in every moment my whole life I was used to getting where I wanted when I wanted to If I wanted a drink, I walked to the fridge and got it. If I was late to leave somewhere, I was able to quickly rush around my room and change and hurry to the car. But I suddenly found myself in a wheelchair in a body that only sometimes did what I told it to. I needed and still need help getting into cars. There are plenty of places I can't reach, foods I can't make, and help I have to ask for. Although this has its moments of being frustrating and limiting, it also has been one of the greatest blessings, to have no choice but to be present. I'm left with more time to notice and think, more scenery and events to appreciate, and I don't think that I ever would have chosen to slow down as much as I've been forced to, and I'm grateful for that. Willingly, I probably wouldn't have chosen to spend my time so much more intentionally. I would miss out on noticing the little things that now bring me so much joy. I wouldn't soak in every conversation, every beautiful thing I witnessed. I would never experience this perspective. But the greatest thing I could have missed out on my entire life, if not for for becoming handicapped, is noticing the prominence of God. Too often, we'll ask him to do something extraordinary, and then we'll be disappointed and confused when it's not answered within a day or a week. But God does not work the way we do. If you're looking for the firework display of his response, we can miss the little dewdrops drops collected on the leaf that assure us he's listening. Can he complete miracles and radically answer our prayers within seconds? Absolutely, 100%. But he can also send songs that play right when you need them. He can send butterflies after hard days spreading a smile to your face. Um, even the breath in our lungs is... It's, his prominence in our life never ends. It's just that we want something more. It is. It. Whoa. <laughs> um, we stop noticing the gentle care and answers he gives us because we want the crystal clear shout from the heavens. We don't want to take extra time to learn the word and align our hearts to his so that when a prayer goes unanswered for months or years, we are not discouraged but instead at peace because we've prayed Lord willing. The Lord is not on our time schedule. We don't share the exact same plans as him, but he is listening and working all things together. And when we are truly present, we'll find that he is too. The Lord has taught me to seek a more intentional style of living, not just to notice, but to appreciate, to acknowledge his loving hand in every moment, to see a sunset and marvel at the artist behind it. When I walked around on my own two feet, I would thank the Lord often for what he'd given me, but now I'm grateful for more. I dwell on his creativity and generosity more often. I notice more details about the people he's created, and I bring him into more of the choices i make. I acknowledge him in more areas of my life that I didn't give a second thought to before. In the same way that we won't notice his prominence if we don't appreciate every size it can appear in, we also will have trouble maintaining a peaceful state if we don't fill ourselves with with what gives that peace, and that's time with the Lord. It's important to spend time with him in ordinary moments and to bring worship into the way you view life. It's important to thank him for the work he's doing. The work that will not stop until the day of completion. It is important to intentionally notice God's prominence, find His beauty in what you deem a mess. To continue seeking the Lord in my situation, I wrote this next poem. Lord, please show me the petals of this rose when my eyes only focus on the thorns. When obstacles and challenges arise, help me to see opportunity, potential. If the storm feels heavy and suffocating. Remind me to wait for the rainbow. Distract me from my own worldly distractions and never let me compare them to heaven. Please, if I say the pain is too much, here's my heart with the image of Christ's crown. When I feel purposeless and insignificant, assure me that it is not a waiting season, but a working season. Initially, it was easy for me to only notice what I lost. But when I took a step back (laughs) or rolled my wheelchair backwards to see the bigger picture, which is still just a fraction of what the Lord sees, I realized there was a lot to be gained from this. He reminded me of this truth. Being spiritually minded is better than having a worldly perspective. 2 Corinthians 4.16-18 reads, Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. If I only look at my immediate circumstances and how to survive them, I won't have room to receive what the Lord can teach me in. I'll be focused on the raging sea instead of the one who can walk on it. If I only focus on the pain of my flesh and the negative aspects of my situation, I deprive myself of the hope that isn't changed by anything in the world. I choose depression instead of trust. If I only dwell on the worldly losses, I can't eagerly search out and receive the spiritual benefits. Colossians 3.2 says, set your mind on things that are above not on things that are on earth. This command can be very difficult to follow because we naturally pay more attention to what we can see and experience than things of spiritual concern. We have deadlines to meet, relationships to balance, money to earn, and selfish or foolish ways we want to spend our time. It's hard to pull ourselves out of this temporary world that demands our attention, but it's more worthwhile to prepare for a true eternity. To set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. Time with the Lord gives that peace. Learning more about His character, His providence, and His promises will comfort and encourage you in all aspects of your life. Praying, singing songs, and studying His Word and His heart are the most productive things you can do. Knowing this, it can still be hard to stay focused. I'm not perfect, and some days can momentarily get to me. I can have longing or disappointment, but I've become very quick to redirect my thinking. God faithfully reminds me that nothing I experience, no pain or happiness, is permanent, and none of it co- can compare to the joy that is coming. Worldly act- activities and opportunities, while they may be appealing and enjoyable, are distractions from our, to- our true purpose here and the peace we've been offered. They're like quicksand that makes us forget we are supposed to be running the Lord's race in a motivated, passionate way. We are to run in such a way that we can obtain the prize, the prize being an eternity spent in the Lord's presence with complete peace and fullness of joy. There will be no suffering, no hardships, not another day of struggle. But while we are on this side of eternity, we will face challenges. There will be pain, doubts, and fear. God addresses this in John 16, verse 33. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Not only does this verse serve as a warning, but it also offers rest. The world cannot give permanent peace, and therefore it cannot take it away from you. Some days will be harder to rest in this truth, but it will always be available to you. No matter the situation and that's the fourth and final thing i've been learning god's love for us is not defined by circumstances so our love for him should not be either god displayed his immense love for us when he crucified his only son who he loved deeply to save us who he also loves from ourselves He called Jesus back up from that grave, and in doing so, he made this offer to us that we can step out of death, out of this temporal world, out of pain, that we can choose to rise up with Christ and then dwell forever with him. It's an unconditional offer of unmeasurable love. If we simply choose to follow Jesus with faith, we will receive the most incredible gift that never changes. Our circumstances may change, but they should not determine the strength of our faith. Our health should not determine our trust in God. We shouldn't say, God is good because my life feels good right now, or God has forgotten about me because things are so hard. I know it's way easier said than done, but now I also know that it's possible to have unconditional faith. Sometimes we're not able to choose that until we're stripped of what was actually hand-in-hand with our faith. We might not have known how much we relied on this ability, person, activity, object, etc., until we no longer had it, until it is taken away and a gaping, empty hole is left behind, giving us the chance to fill it fully and only with our faith. Faith cannot be taken away. It cannot be stolen. The act of Jesus' death cannot be undone. He said it is finished, and we are offered the choice to believe and abide in this truth. No matter who we are, what we've done, or how we feel about it, unconditional salvation is always there to accept. There are a few verses about salvation I just want to share with you. Um, you've probably heard them before, but I think it's good to be reminded of them. Romans 6.4 says, We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Romans six twenty three. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And finally, Ephesians two eight through nine. For by grace you have been saved through faith. this is not your own doing it is the gift of god not a result of works so that no one may boast there's nothing you can do to earn salvation by believing in who jesus is and choosing to follow him you will receive it but it is something to responsibly take care of your faith can't be taken away by anything or anyone in this world but it can decay distance can grow between you and god if you prioritize your temporary life on earth over your eternal future above. As I mentioned earlier, um, we can easily disregard our spiritual health because it feels less immediate than our physical or mental focuses. We say, oh, I'll pray tomorrow, or I'll read my Bible later. But we are not promised a later time. We are not entitled to another chance after God has given us choice after choice to care for our souls. We've been instructed and lovingly warned And it's our responsibility to take advantage of the time and resources we've been given instead of showing disinterest in this privilege. The longer you feed the habit of spiritual laziness, the harder it is to break. But it's crucial that you recognize this and passionately strive to keep your faith as your top priority. I struggled with, with this for many years, so please don't hear me say that I always make the right choices or I'm perfect. I'm incredibly far from it but what I am now is closer to the Lord. Unfortunately, I had never rested in my faith before this year. I had a desire to know the Lord as a very young kid, but I didn't accept salvation until I was 12. And even then, I still was struggling with trying to be enough, trying to earn His love and forgiveness when I already had it. I was missing the crucial piece of salvation, that I was not saved because of who I was, but whose I was. I felt I still had to be worthy to be called a child of God. I tried to do everything I could to feel deserving. Self-improvement, acts of kindness, repenting over and over. But I could have never escape the nagging feeling that I wasn't truly saved. I always thought I had to be perpetually making up for my sin. And this way of thinking robbed me of experiencing true salvation. I eventually stopped reading my Bible and praying because I felt unworthy to even talk to when I was knocked down by a struggle, it was harder to get up. I was trapped by the shame and struggle of my past, the past I was keeping in the dark, where the light of Jesus couldn't reach it. But God didn't give up on me. He didn't let me stay with one foot in the dark and the other too afraid to approach Jesus. He continued to nudge and grow me until I finally broke down one day in April of this year. I recognized how I had been ruining myself because of shame, sometimes laziness. I prayed for a desire to know the truth of him and his salvation. I asked for him to build a new foundation under my faith. I prayed to have a soul on fire for him. And God truly did begin to answer every single one. He led me to finally realize that I wasn't expected to be perfect. I was going to make mistakes and not do all the right things. But the desire to flee from sin and the thirst for righteousness was what mattered. God only wanted my heart. He wanted me to learn what truly following Jesus meant and how that would naturally impact my life. He wanted me to bring honesty before perfection and willingness instead of a hardened heart. He reminded me that with Jesus' dying breath, my Savior said, It is finished. (laughs) No, No sin, trauma, or circumstance can take that away from me can't take away the offer that I've been given. I reconnected with him and began regularly including him in my day. I read my Bible more and more often until the true message of salvation finally clicked into place. The next step was wholeheartedly and consistently resting in it, which was a difficult thing to do, but God corrected thought after thought until my perspective was completely changed. It's almost like God was preparing my faith so that I could continue seeking Him through my neurological disorder. If I was facing these challenges without confidence in Christ, I would no doubt be overcome by physical and mental discouragement. But through the teaching and the nurturing that God extended to me right before my health declined, I had a seed of faith to cling to, and I had a strong desire to grow it so that it couldn't be lost again. In a way, the watering of that seed came especially from F and D. I now look at my condition as a necessary hindrance, an invitation to refix my eyes on my Savior's face and not my circumstances. It's been an opportunity to proclaim His good news more boldly than ever. From this, from this disorder, God has given me abounding opportunities to spread the gospel. When people have asked about my physical health, I give them an answer that includes my spiritual health as well. When I've been given pity, I tell them why there's no need. Through strangers asking me why I'm in a wheelchair, I'm able to share the good that has come from it. I've cried and prayed with people I hardly know. We've praised the Lord together, we've learned from each other, and God has humbled me immensely through every interaction I have. I'm learning to remove my fear of vulnerability and my pride so that I can proclaim what the Holy Spirit calls me to, even if it may be uncomfortable. Almost every person I met this year commented on the joy they saw in me and were encouraged by, more than, more than have in my whole life leading up to this. And that's been a beautiful thing to realize, but it didn't happen before because I had worldly happiness instead of joy in the Lord. Everything that I hope to display now is for Him. I have many parts of myself to improve, but no longer with the goal of trying to earn God's love. I'm simply trying to abide in it and live a life that points others to Him. This is what he has taught me to say. Lord, a position at your feet is more comfortable than a cross. The place I would be, if not for your hand, coming to remove and redeem me. I offer my fractures and blemishes for you to take away, add to, or embrace, because everything is given by you with a purpose and an opportunity. And as you know my scars, so you know the number of hairs on my head, so you know your plans for So you know the ways my heart moves my body cannot so here i am humbly resting at your feet through my weakness struggles and inability i found jesus ability his strength and his power to turn any situation around god has given me the privilege of going through this and becoming closer than ever to him but today i'm I want to urge you to not wait on a significant event to deepen your faith. You will never see, skip a line, <laughs> um, um, don't tell yourself that you'll seek him when something life-changing happens, or wait around for him to stir your heart more than he's already tried to. If you don't feel that passion or desire to see Christ, pray for it. And if you don't have a longing to pray, pray until you do. You will never see drastic change in your faith if you don't put in the effort to reach it. And you cannot expect constant peace if you are not constantly surrounding yourself with it. The Lord gives peace. Time in His presence is life-giving, and He yearns to connect with you. He is knocking and knocking and knocking at that door, and if you only have it open a crack, you're going to be easily shaken by this world, easily led astray by Satan. If a door to your heart is only... Halfway open, you're not going to experience the fullness of the Lord. How will you abide in a word you never read? How can you expect to live your eternity in Jesus in heaven if you only tend to this temporary life on earth? And how can you be excited for the glory of Christ and rejoice in his resurrection if you are not willing and joyful to partake, partake in the suffering he experienced? Jesus suffered through torture and abuse and an agonizing death on the cross out of love he didn't trade places with us out of obligation not because there was this one person who had been really charitable and righteous not because there were, but because there were so many people that god loved no one is perfect or deserving of salvation forgiveness, but he wanted to save us nonetheless. In the same way that Jesus leaves the 99 to find the wandering sheep, so he also died for the one, for a personal relationship with each individual. We are all significant to the Lord. He can match every strand of hair to the person it came from, recite our entire lives, and most importantly, he invites us to merge our story with his, not because he needs us, but because he wants us. He wants you. God will not abandon you. He doesn't change when life does, and he doesn't want your faith in him to change either. He wants you to feel his love at a deeper level, to praise his character and his prominence. He wants you to walk with him close enough and consistently enough that your heartbeat keeps rhythm with his. God wants all of you, and he doesn't want your past, your sins, your doubts, or your distractions to hinder you. He wants you to come as you are, but come willing to become more like Christ. There's a quote that reads, The real truth is that God loves you so much that he wants you just as you are, but he also loves you so much that he won't leave you that way.
0: God's love isn't
1: just about accepting you. It's about changing you. Mercy finds you, but love sustains you, and love will will carry you through any difficulty that you face. Through f and D, I I was offered two choices. Number one, become discouraged and depressed, focusing only on what I'd lost. Or two, become greatly encouraged and excited by the promise of what can be gained. My health decline was truly a blessing in disguise, an invitation to put my faith to the test and come out more faithful than before. It's been a wake-up call, a reminder that this is not my home, but that I have a permanent resting place to look forward to. These past months have taught and continued to teach me so much. The Lord has been merciful to change my perspective and show me more areas that I need to grow in. He led me into what I thought was a valley so he could open my eyes to see that it was actually a mountain of great spiritual height. And that is my firm foundation, the reasoning behind the joy I'm able to choose every day and the confidence I have in my permanent hope. The most peace I ever found was trading and the burdens of my heart for the weight of God's glory. In surrendering my story to make room for his superior plan, I found peace that truly surpasses all understanding. When I invited Jesus, the light, into my darkness, he caused every shadow to flee. He encourages and comforts me daily, and he continues to teach me how to partake in Christ's suffering as well as his joy. And he is the sole reason my story is still going. I'm confident that God is with us every step of the way. He promises to never leave nor forsake us. And I firmly believe in him. This is my testimony that God is faithful and good.